want to uh, just begin the message today by saying happy birthday to the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, this, and you're thinking, where are you coming with that? This is what they call Pentecost Sunday. It's, uh, it's 50 days after Easter. It is the day we celebrate when the Holy Spirit came upon those first century believers in that upper room, and the church was birthed, and so we are a part of that still today, and we don't take time to celebrate the church of Jesus Christ and the birth of his church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can't even, you can't even come to Christ to be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you. And then, uh, we know in the Old Testament, he came upon prophets, priests, and kings, but we see that he abides within us as believers. Man, that's good stuff. That is very good stuff. And uh, uh, maybe you don't, you know, we talk about the Father and the Son. We sometimes neglect the Holy Spirit, but he is God, and he is with us and in us and through us, and we believe that today. And so... We celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, but also uh, we, I was reading this week, this, this is a part of the message, so don't, don't start the clock on me yet, uh, but I was reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and, and this is what the Lord really impressed upon my heart through this. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat is surrounded by a vast army, uh, they petition the Lord on what to do. They fast and pray. The Lord uh, comes upon a, a prophetic guy, and he uh, gives the word that God is going to uh, God is going to fight the battle for you. You just stand firm. And then he gives them this battle strategy. It's a, a weird strategy, but he says, "Put the singers in the front, and uh, what the singers are going to do is they're going to go into the battle." Uh, ahead, and uh, I, I'm thinking, if I were a singer, I'm thinking, uh, do we do? Is this really the strategy? Can I have a, a sword and a shield or something? No, just go and sing. And uh, so they go out there, and they're they're singing to glory to God. And what happens is, is that the, the Midianites, the Ammonites, ever all these uh, armies turn on one another, and they just wipe out one another, and. And uh, the children of Israel don't even have to raise a sword because they've taken each other out. Now, here's where I'm going in this. This is where what the Lord impressed upon me. Sometimes we come to a worship service, we call it, and we don't worship. We just come and we sing songs and we, we go through the, the process of what, whatever it may be. We hear the word, we go out, that was a good word, whatever. I want you to I want to try to change your mindset a little bit. The the worship team are singing those praises and they're leading us into the presence of God through these praises and and maybe just maybe as we sing these songs of praise uh, unto the Lord the enemy has to turn upon himself because he has been bugging us all week long but as we sing these praises then what happens is, is the enemy turns upon himself and then we come and deliver the word of God and it's the death blow and we start seeing victory in our lives because of... So the worship service is not just... Yeah, we can clap about that. 
the worship service is not just time to come and sit, but it's a time that we see the power of God displayed. And, and some of you need freedom today. You need some victory today. And we're praying that God will bring about that victory in your life today, this very, very moment. I, I believe the Holy Spirit of God just wants to set us free and deliver us from so much stuff that we've held on to. And, and, and well, I may as well say it. The, the things that we've gotten bored of in our faith, God reignite those to excite you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 10. We're talking about finishing strong. That, you know, we can all be good starters. You know, we can all start well, but are we going to finish well? Are we going to truly see it all the way through this life? Uh, when we read the scriptures, to be honest, we don't find so many people that finish well, but we learn principles on how not to finish. And so we see this in the scripture. Today, I want to talk to you about a guy named Rehoboam. And uh, you may not know about Rehoboam. There won't be a test afterwards, but you're going to learn uh, uh, something about Rehoboam as we talk about finishing strong today. Let me kind of give you a thought before we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 10. In your life, you will find critical decision-making times, uh, whether it's who you marry, what school you go to, uh, what church you attend, what city you live in, uh, what you may do as a calling and a ministry in your life. You're going to face decisions. Now, some of those are going to be no-brainers, you think, but many times we're saying, okay, God, what am I supposed to do here? And those decision-making times will lead you either uh, in a positive way or you find that it's not a blessing route, but it, it turned into something else. So you don't want to make uh, uh, the wrong decision at that point. I thought about uh, advice-giving times in history a little bit. Can you imagine your uh, General George Armstrong Custer and uh, you are in Montana at the rolling hills. You know there's an enemy uh, just beyond the hills. And you don't know everything about them. And so you add, ask advice of your generals there or your commanders. Uh, what do y'all think? And some guy raises his hand and said, what have we got to lose? Let's just go for it anyway. And uh, wrong advice, but uh, they took somebody's advice. And we know that was the, the death of General Custer. Or suppose you're uh, on the Titanic and you get these warnings. The Titanic actually had as many as seven, seven warnings to not be going where they're going. So the captain brings his leaders together. We need advice. One guy raises his hand and says, man, I, I think there is some ice out there, but it can't do any damage to the ship. Wrong Wrong advice, and that's what they took. Imagine you're the gatekeeper of Troy, and uh, you've been fighting with the Greeks, and all of a sudden this Trojan horse, they, they say as a gift, they roll it up to the gate, and you're the gatekeeper, and you think, what should we do at this point? 
So you open the gate. Let's just keep it in the center of the city for the night. Uh, what can go wrong? And uh, then to see what took place. Uh, or uh, imagine that you are in Pisa, Italy, and you have been given the task of building a tower there. And so you start building it a little bit, and you bring your guys together and say, do you think it's leaning a, a little bit? And, uh, and they say, oh, nobody will notice, right? And then you build it. See, we all, when, when it comes time to decisioning, we, somebody gives us advice, and we go for that advice, and we either follow that advice or we get uh, different advice. And this is kind of describing King Rehoboam a little bit. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. We've talked about Solomon. He was the grandson of David. And so Rehoboam's now is time to be king of, of Israel. And uh, so he's put in this position, but he needs to figure out what kind of king is he going to be. We talked about how Solomon didn't finish strong, but what kind of king is Rehoboam going to be? And so in chapter 10 of 2 Chronicles, it'll be on the screen as well. I want to read the... Uh, first 15 verses of the chapter, and you'll see the, the scenario that Rehoboam finds himself in. So Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father, we, we know it was Solomon, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Come to me again in three days. So the people went away. You see the scenario. Uh, Rehoboam's the new king. Uh, the people are wanting to know what kind of king he's going to be. Jeremoam, who had uh, uh, been a part of a rebellion, and you can read more of him historically, he comes back to represent the people as they ask this question of uh, Rehoboam. Now, the reason they ask the question is, uh, you remember the children of Israel had been in Egypt 400 years in slavery. God set them free through uh miracles using Moses as leader. They eventually come into the promised land. They want a king, gives them Saul. Saul uh, floundered, gave them David. David was a great king. And then you have Solomon. And what Solomon did, he, all his wisdom, but he w went off track. He actually subdued the people, harsh hand, heavy taxes, uh, almost bringing them to a point of slavery. So isn't it interesting they come out of slavery in Egypt only to find Solomon put them back under this yoke, uh, hard yoke of slavery as well. Verse 6, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men, this is the elders, the wise men, who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? 
And they said to him, If you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he, being Rehoboam, abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me? Lighten the yoke that your father put on us. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it up for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Scorpions, not the little stinging insect, uh, uh, but... Uh, what a scorpion is, a scorpion is a flagrum or cat of nine tails uh, whip that had pieces of bone and metal in it, much like Jesus was flogged with. So he is saying, I'm going to be more heavy-handed than, than my father was. Verse 12, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly, and forsaking the counsel of the old men, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke through the prophet. Now, you see the scenario. Rehoboam's got to figure out what kind of king he's going to be. The people show up and they say, uh, listen, your father got heavy-handed, heavy taxes, heavy yoke upon us. What are you going to do? And so he goes to the wise elders who had lived under the yoke of what they were saying, what should I do? And the older guys who had lived through it give him the wisdom. You, you, wanna, you want to serve these people. You don't want to be harsh on them, and they will follow you. Well, uh, Rehoboam, who is actually 41 years old, he's not a, a, a youngster, he, he, but he's been raised under his father, probably a silver spoon in his mouth, uh, been, been blessed in many ways, uh, affluence wise rejects that counsel he goes to his peers right and you got to think if you're the well-off drive the corvette have all the chicks and your friends want to hang around you and you've been their uh you've been their money bags to enjoy things what are they going to tell you well they're going to tell you whatever you want to hear just like the internet they're, it's going to tell you what you want to hear and so they say, man, uh, as long as we're your buddies, why don't you just be heavy-handed on them, and this is what you need to do. So that's the counsel that Rehoboam took from his friends. And then what happened is, the consequences were, they, now all of Israel is going to be divided. It's going to be divided in, 
from Israel, the ten tribes in the north, and Judah, Judah and Benjamin, the tribes in the south. It is now split. All of his life, Rehoboam is going to have to look over his shoulder because he is going to be at war all of his life, and he's going to be looking over his shoulder for somebody to come and uh, take him out. This is the consequences of his decision. Now, point number one, as you write this down, is this. All decisions have consequences. Every decision that you make has consequences. Rehoboam made this decision. He sought the counsel of the uh, older wise people. He rejected that counsel. He took the counsel of his younger peers, and he stood by it. And what happened was, is that the consequences were that all of Israel will be divided. And I want you to, to uh, see 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. So see, it wasn't just the decision to be heavy-handed. He actually abandoned the Lord in this. And he was going to suffer the consequences. Every decision has consequences. Now, what are those consequences? Well, first of all, every decision you make, and I make, and Rehoboam make, everybody in the Bible makes, not only affects them, it affects others. So every decision you make, career-wise, spouse-wise, school-wise, where you live, Everything you do, where God may call you in a ministry, what you're going to do, you will find that it not only affects you, but it affects so many other people. Now, what are the negative consequences that may happen from your decision? Well, number one, it will affect your family. If you make a decision, it's the wrong decision, I promise you, it will affect your marriage, it will affect your kids. It will affect your lineage by your decision. But it will also affect your health. Now, that sounds strange. I guarantee you, Rehoboam lived his life full of anxiety because somebody was always after him. When you make a decision that is not a godly decision, you make a decision that's the wrong decision, what's going to happen is you will find yourself with sleepless nights, you will find yourself with fear, you will find yourself with anxiety, will manifest itself in your physical life. Your mental health will suffer because what you will find is this anxiety, this stress, this mental anguish that you're under will always be there. So all decisions have consequences, but... There's good news. Right decisions have good consequences. Consequences like you will find strength in your family. You will find you're able to sleep with peace at night because you're following the Lord and not following just the whims. There will be blessings instead of cursing. There will be uh, prosperity of life. And I'm not talking about Uh, lots of money. I'm just talking about your spiritual well-being, your soulish well-being, the mental well-being. Here's another one. 
there will be generational blessing. Not only for you and your kids, but for their kids and their kids on down the line. Somebody, if you've walked your life under blessing of generational blessing, I guarantee you, you had a great-grandmother uh, or great-grandfather or grandmother or grandfather that was praying for that blessing, and you received it even though you may not know them. And so that's uh, another positive consequence of, uh, of, of decision-making. <clears throat> Here's another one. You ready for this one? This is a great consequence of right decisions. Maybe you grew up in a home that was not believers. They weren't churchgoers. Uh, maybe divorce was rampant. Maybe alcoholism was rampant in your lineage. You make a decision where you're going to do it godly. And you're going to do it the right way. You, you are going to marry uh, someone that's following Christ. You have a godly marriage. You decide to keep yourself pure. You're not going to be given in to uh, uh, drunkenness. And what you discover is your decision, the consequence of your decision is your lineage is now straightened out and the chains are broken. Isn't that good? So all decisions don't have bad consequences, but all decisions have consequences. So you need to know that. And here's the second point that I want you to get. I want to I speak a minute on your heritage. And this is a point A and a point B, and you'll grab them. Point A is this. Your heritage, and I'm talking about what you inherit in life, your genes, your life, your environment, all those kind of things. Your heritage doesn't mean that you'll finish strong. Rehoboam had it all. He was the son of the king. He had money. He, uh, he had uh, influence. He had everything going for him. Yet, he did not finish strong. And you're thinking, well, if I had everything, then I would make the right decision to finish strong. Not necessarily. You may have had a godly grandmother. A godly, you may have had a grandfather who was a pastor. Listen, that doesn't that doesn't mean you're going to finish strong. We play one-on-one -on -one with God. And, and it does not mean you'll be there. Perhaps you went to the best college. You were summa cum laude at, at some, uh, some college. You got a great degree in business uh, or, or law or whatever you may have gotten. And you've had a successful career as far as that goes. That does not guarantee that you will finish strong. Maybe you have wealth. Many people think that because I'm an American, I'm going to finish strong. Oh, no. Your heritage does not necessarily mean that you will finish strong. However, here's B. Your heritage doesn't mean you won't finish strong. Some of you grew up in broken homes. Some of you grew up in situations that uh, led you down a path that you regret. Maybe you have a criminal record. Maybe you're, uh, you're, you have uh, uh, a, a lineage that you don't have a family tree. You have a family bush or a family stick. 
I mean, it's just, it's just uh, different. And uh, you have failures in life. You maybe have uh, uh, decisions that you made at some times that, that were just wrong. Let me tell you, we have a redeeming, grace-filled God who can take whatever situation and turn it into a blessing. If, if you're willing to let him do that. There may be need for repentance. There may be need to get up because you've pushed yourself to the side of the road. It's time to get up, get back in the game, see what God can do, and let him fight the battle. Your heritage, whatever it may be, you're thinking, I didn't get the opportunity. I didn't grow up in a well-off family. I didn't get to go to school. I didn't, you know, I, I'm, I married the wrong person and we, it fractured and all these kind of things. Listen, listen, oh pity you, don't, don't feel for yourself. You need to get up, you need to go forward, repent if you need to repent, forgive if you need to forgive, but we need to go forward. And, and listen, I'm not putting down. Somebody say, Mark, you don't know the abuse I put up in my family. I, I do not. And I do not want to be trite in saying, you know, just forget that. Because you may need counsel. You may need to get in with somebody to work through that. But I, what I'm saying is, we have a God that's greater than. And I want to lean into a God that's greater than. So, we have... A, a, a heritage doesn't mean you won't finish strong. And then here's the third point that I want to give to you today. Surround yourself with godly, discerning individuals. Surround yourself with godly, discerning individuals. I have discovered that you can go online today and you can find whatever counsel you want. It, it's, it's really something. And, and some of you are going to counseling, and I've heard of people that quit going to a counselor because the counselor doesn't agree with them, and they want to go find a counselor that does agree with them. And I'm thinking, really? Where's the counsel? But we don't need to be satisfied with our own learning, our own intuitiveness. We need to trust godly, discerning counsel. Uh, I, I'll confess, when I was a young man, I, I think it, it was a little bit of my, uh, some of the uh, stuff I walked under as a young man, you know, abandonment issues, that, those kind of things. I was not good I look back, and if somebody were to ask me, Mark, what one regret do you have as a young man? Is that uh, I did not seek counsel more. I tried to reinvent the wheel on my own. I thought that I was the only one in the world going down this path. And so I did not seek godly counsel the way I needed to. And I regret that today. Now, I've learned... And uh, I, I have a lot of young pastors that will come and talk to me 
And I, I, I have to be honest, I, I think, man, I'd be so much farther down the road if that was the case. But here's the deal on why we do not seek counsel. is We have to be willing to submit to godly discerning counsel. That's the hard part. Because you see, it may not agree with us. Arrogance is a killer. We have to be willing to ask the questions that we don't have the answers to. And I gotta be willing, uh, I gotta be honest in saying I was so glad in 1993 when we started Central that the internet was not a big influence at that time. We wouldn't be here today. Because I would go online and I would investigate on my own and uh, I would think, man, this is hard. I don't want to do this. There's no way we can plant a church like this and do what we're going to do. There's no way. Look at the failure rate in this. Uh, there's no way to do that. And it wouldn't have been attempted. But in 1993, all you could do is get on your face and get with godly people and say, what should we do? And here we are today. And I thank God for the influence that it's in the community today because of Central. But arrogance is a killer. Romans 12.3 says, Do not think more, Don't think yourself more highly than you should. And, and here's the deal about seeking godly, personal, discerning counsel is that we all have blind spots. I have blind spots, you have blind spots. If I were to say, okay, Caleb, what's your blind spots? You don't know, because they're blind spots. But do you have somebody that loves you enough to say, I think you've got a blind spot here. And I, I just want to love you through it so that you, it doesn't haunt you somewhere on down the line. You see the love in that? We all have blind spots. But here's the deal about surrounding yourself with godly, discerning individuals. It doesn't mean, the decision doesn't mean it will be the easy way. Okay? You see, our flesh wants the easy way. We wish that Jesus had not said, enter by the narrow gate. Because narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life, and few her find it. We wish he hadn't said that because our flesh wants the easy route. So if you're thinking, okay, the decision, I'm going to seek godly discerning counsel, but they're telling me it's going to be hard. I'm going to go ask somebody who's going to give me the easy route. Surely God wants me to go the easy route, but that's not true. Sometimes, and this, this was the story uh, in our, our life, in ministry. I remember being uh, impressed by the Lord because all I knew about ministry, because I had nobody in my family, people would be around like for five years and then leave, five years and then leave and go somewhere else. I remember feeling this impression in my heart, Mark, I know the Great Commission says, as you go into all the world, make disciples, but are you willing to stay? 
Are you willing to stay? Man. And so, sometimes the Lord asks us to do something that is not the easiest thing to do, but it's the godly thing. It will create the blessing. Okay, here's your assignment. Your assignment today is, I want you to think about decision-making times in your life. I want you to think about those times as uh, uh, a young man, young woman, uh, teenager, that you needed godly wisdom and you were able to ask and talk to someone or a group of someones and they gave you good, wise, godly counsel. Whether you followed it or not, that's up to you. But they were willing to give it because you asked. And here's what I would like for you to do. Text them, email them, uh, call them, uh, just if they're still alive, and just let them know. Our pastor was talking on, we need to get godly counsel in our life, and he gave us this assignment. Blah, blah, I mean, on me, that's what I used to tell my kids. And, uh, and just thank them for being there in your life. Just thank them. And, and when it comes to some of your facing decisions and you don't know what to do, a little bit, uh, seek godly counsel. I have, uh, I have young pastors all the time. They're, they're coming to me and they're saying, Mark, what should I do here? What, what should we do? But here's the deal. We have a, a, a mentoring program with our ladies, which is very, very good and very healthy. You have one-on-one mentoring. Um, for, for me, I, I just be honest. If somebody walks up to me and says, Mark, I want you to mentor me, I don't know what to do. I, 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 don't, know what to, I don't know where to start. But if somebody comes up to me and says, Mark, I'd like to take you out to lunch. First of all, you got me right there. And, then, and they say, uh, I'd just like to ask you a couple of questions about life, about parenting, about ministry about whatever yeah i can do that uh what i'm saying is don't don't be reactive be proactive to seek good counsel wrap up with this because we're talking about finishing strong and and if you're going to finish strong it means that and we're still going to deal with this a few more weeks but if you're going to finish strong, it means you need to put things in place in your life right now. Surrounding yourself with godly, discerning people is huge. We all have yahoos that we can hang around, but we need godly, discerning people that we can, we can be around. And, but it, it's, it comes down to foundational things. How set is your foundation? The, the Queen Mary ship... Who, which was uh, commissioned in 1936. It set its voyage, voyages in place, cross-Atlantic. It was also used during World War II to transport troops, the, the Queen Mary. It was taken off of 
of uh, sailing, I think, 1967, 1969 in, in, that, in that area. But they were renovating the, the Queen Mary. And one of the things they did is that they took the, their three smokestacks off and they took the smokestacks off and they put them on the uh, pier so that they could work on them. And uh, I, I actually saw a picture. I, I hate that I didn't put the picture up. But, uh, but there's a picture of one of the smokestacks that when they set it on the uh, firm pier, it crumbled. Because the one-inch thick metal had rusted away, and it, just had, it was just made up of 30 coats of paint at that point. And so they crumbled. I hope and pray that my life and your life is not just some facade that we've painted over. We can look like the world. We can look like we got it all together. We can, we can paint the outside and really look good, but our foundation is rusted away and we don't know it. If we're going to keep a firm foundation, it means we need to work on it all the time. And the decision-making that you make is going to be key for your life. Some of you in this room, I know most of you, and I know you have a relationship with Christ, but maybe there's someone that does not. And the greatest decision you can make today in life is what you're going to do with Jesus. Are you going to follow Him or are you going to reject Him? That's the two offers. If you say not now, well, that's a rejection. But Jesus came, he lived, he bore our sins on a cruel cross. And anyone who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no other name, no other name given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. So maybe today is your greatest decision. Seek godly discerning counsel. I guarantee you they're going to say it's the greatest decision you can ever make. It's an eternal decision for you to make. So bow your heads with me if you would.